Summons to the word found in your bulletin helps us to do that. Let's read it together. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. In the Blue Pew Bible, it can be found on page 830. Again, the text is Matthew 5, 8, found on page 830 of the Blue Pew Bible. Hear now the word of the Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Thank you, Kathy. Oh, Kathy, I so appreciate your heart. Really do. Just love it. Kathy and I had a wonderful conversation yesterday just talking about life. She's one of our small group leaders and does a phenomenal job at it. It's wonderful. You know, a church is built. The backbone of a church is our, our good small group leaders. And uh, Linda and, 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 and Kathy are two examples of just phenomenal small group leaders. Well, this morning as we continue our journey through the Beatitudes, uh, seeking to explore and understand the way that God's kingdom comes. And how does his reign exert itself in the world? How does he manifest itself? And Jesus here is, is showing us in these various beatitudes how it is that God's kingdom comes. And this morning, this, this particular beatitude is truly a beautiful one. It's something that is so counterintuitive, so countercultural. So counter but if there's one thing in this very polarized world that we can agree on, I think, in fact, you could find this on CNN or Fox News or whatever, whatever news hub you might watch or uh, listen into, it's that we are that. We are divided, aren't we? We live in a very divided world. People will often speak of a culture war. There is this sense of, of battling worldviews, battling ideologies, that we're not all on the same side. And whether that, that's right or wrong, good or bad, it's the sense that we, we all know it's true. We, we live in this world that is, um, in every way, us versus them. There are these good guys and these bad guys. The people who get it, the people who don't get it. We live in this, this world where we know all of a sense that in some way, this is so important, that in some way, things aren't what they're supposed to be. They're just not. And there's this better way of, of doing life. There's this better way that the world should be. And we all know that, that things as they are aren't right, and, and they need to improve. And of course, the question is, in what way should they improve? And, we, and that's, that's, where the, that's where the fight comes in. That's where the fight, where how are we to be a better a culture, a better nation, a better world. And so I think the notion of conflict, of division, speaks very powerfully to us. And that's what we see actually all throughout the scriptures. We see conflict. Conflict between light and darkness. Conflict between good and evil. And one, I wanna, as, we, we, as we go into this passage, this particular beatitude, I want to take us a little bit through the Old Testament. If you have your pew Bible, it's in front of you, in the pew in front of you, you want to grab that. I want us to turn to the book of Joshua. Joshua, of course, is a, is a story of conflict. It's a story of the conquest of the land of Canaan. It's a climactic story in the, in the history of God's people. And I want to take us to Joshua chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 13. If you have your pew Bible, it's on page 184. 
184 of your pew Bible. Now Joshua was the, uh, was the successor to uh, Moses. Moses was this founding, uh, founding agent that uh, God uses, this key agent to, to found the people of God. And uh, he, he's, it's through Moses that we have the law of God. And, uh, but Moses does not actually take God's people into the promised land. He, uh, he dies out. He's able to see the promised land from, from afar, but then is gathered to his fathers, and Joshua takes over after Moses. What a, what a, what a task, right, to take over after someone like Moses. And Joshua, and Joshua is, is there on the, the plains of, of Moab. They're just east of the promised land, and they're, they're considering, uh, to, you know, they're looking to take over the land. And uh, Joshua himself uh, is, is looking at Je- the city of Jericho. Again, this is page 184, uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 13. We read this. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? great question right who else is there it's us versus them it's one of those two sides right but what's the response verse 14 neither he replied but as commander of the army of the lord i have now come what an unexpected response see god comes to us and we just assume that he's on one of these two sides, the, the, the sides that, that we have created in our, in our culture, the sides that we have created in our minds, the sides that we have created on the news. But here is this, this figure, this angel of the Lord appearing, this commander of the armies of the Lord, and he, he refuses to take one of our sides. He is on his own side. And then they look at the response. This is so amazing. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? What an incredible response. Immediately, Joshua realizes that he asked the wrong question. And he aligns himself. He falls down in reverence and aligns himself. And instead of saying, hey, I got some, th- I got some you know, angels or some things I need you to do. I have these requests of you. I need you to do A, B, C, and D. This is what needs to happen in this cultural war. This is what needs to happen in this fight. I need to align you, get you up to speed with what I'm doing. No. He falls down and he asks, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Does my Lord, does my master have for his servant? And we see that this is a phenomenal picture of what Jesus describes as being pure of heart. And before we get to that specific passage, that specific beatitude, I want to take us to one more Old Testament passage. This is 2 Chronicles. So turn to the right, 2 Chronicles, turn to the right a number of pages after First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, get to First and Second Chronicles. And it's in, it's in 2 Chronicles chapter 15 that we have another, another passage, another warrior, another military context. <clears throat> Again, it's 2 Chronicles chapter 15. It's on page 381. Again, they're in the midst of various battles, and there's a, the, the king now, his name's King Esau. 
And we read this in chapter 15 again on your pew Bible. It's just 381 if you want to follow along. In the right-hand column, chapter 15, verse 1. It says, The Spirit of God came on Azariah, son of Oded. Azariah was a, was a prophet. Verse 2, he says, He went out to meet Esau, King Esau, and said to him, Listen to me, Esau, and all Judah and Benjamin. Listen to this. The Lord is with you when you are with him. Huh. Interesting. The Lord is with you when you are with him. And he says, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. See, I don't know about you, but I always just assume that I'm on God's side. Or even worse, I just assume that God is on my side. Whatever war there is, it could be in my marriage, in my family, in my home, it could be in my workplace, my neighborhood, whatever, on Facebook, Surely God is on my side because I'm so amazingly intelligent, so smart, all my views. Surely God is a Republican. Surely God is a Democrat. Surely God is this or that. We assume that God is on our side. And as such, because he's on our side, this is is really important, because he's on our side, he should reveal himself to me. I should know him. I should be able to understand him. I should be able to see him. But Jesus says something radically different in this this, uh, beatitude. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. Now, we've talked several times already about the meaning of the word blessed. We understand it to mean something like fortunate, or it will go best for. Fortunate, it will be best for those who, whatever it is, fill in the blank. It looks as this future orientation of saying those in this condition or those who are doing this, those who are, are like this, it's actually going to be best for them. So it's not about primarily an emotion or a feeling. It's about a condition. It's about a future state. Blessed, fortunate are those, fortunate are the pure in heart. Let's talk about what does that mean, to be pure is, to, is to, to, have, to be unadulterated, without any influence, without just completely one thing. There's no multiplicity. It's just simply all one. Think of something that's concentrated, a concentrated apple juice. Right, you buy it in, in, the, in the freezer, it's just it's apple juice from concentrated. Oh, it is just pure apple juice, sugar water, really. Right? But it's pure. It's not, it hasn't, you haven't added anything in addition to it. It's pure. To be pure is to be undivided. But undivided in what way? Well, Jesus is pure in heart. And in, in our, our contemporary English Western context, heart usually has to do with something like the emotions. Like if we think of, we just had Valentine's Day recently and we have these hearts or we see people, they do this, and the heart it speaks of emotion or affection. But in, but in the Old Testament world, in the world of the Bible, The heart actually can have a number of different nuances, but most often the heart refers, listen to this, it refers to our allegiance, refers to our devotion. The heart speaks to on whose side we are on. 
So to be pure in heart is to be without reservation, without hesitation, having an allegiance, having a loyalty, a fealty to God. Jesus says, blessed are those who are on God's side. Absolute, all in, without reservations. They have gone fully in on God's side. And listen to this, understand this. Doesn't it make sense that if we're not on God's side, he may not show himself to us? So I don't, again, I don't know about you, but I just assume that God just owes, he just owes it to me to show himself to me. He just better let me see who he is. I mean, have you ever wondered that? You ever thought, you know, why isn't, if there really is a God, I mean, wouldn't it just be profoundly obvious to all of us? Have you ever wondered the aspects of God's, you think, God, I don't, I don't understand you, I don't get you, I don't, know, I don't even know if I know who you are. You don't make sense to me. As if God has this obligation, he's, he's, he must make sense to me. He must do what I want him to do. Because after all, he's on my side. Right? Now, I don't know, some of you may be Blues fans or Cardinals fans. Let's say that the Blues, they just had a game last night. Let's say that the Blues, they, they, have, they call a timeout. It's a tight game. They call a timeout. And I'm in the stands, you know, eating my popcorn. Right? And they're, they're doing the timeout. I just mosey on down down to the, you know, where they are. And they're all huddled in their huddle, talking, whatever. And I just sort of lean in there. Hey, how you doing? Right? They'd be like, who, who are you? Like, get out of here. Like, you have no business. You can't, we can't, well, can I just see what your play is going to be? No, you can't see what my play is. You can't know what we're doing. You can't know what we're up to because we have no idea what side, whose side you're on. God is under no obligation to show himself to us if we're not on his team. And again, I don't know about you, I assume all the time that clearly I must be on God's side. And that is, in some sense, that is the story. Listen to this game. That is the story of Old Testament Israel. Again and again, it is a story of a people who assume that they are on God's side. We just saw it in Joshua. Joshua himself, again, unassumingly, not without critique of, of Joshua himself, saying, whose side are you on? And this overwhelming sense of, oh my goodness, it's, he's on his own side. That God is doing his own thing. He's up to his plans, his agenda, and his time and his way. And Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are those whose hearts, whose allegiances are completely, fully, utterly on God's side. God says, jump. I say, how high? See, it's only when our eyes are locked on following him, following as in like going where he goes, it's only when our eyes are locked on following him that we can begin to actually see him. Okay, we must be all in 
if we are going to see him. You know, as a kid, and this sounds so silly, but as a kid, I remember one time thinking, I wonder who the luckiest person in the Bible is. And what a strange question to ask, right? I wonder, but I thought I began to think about this. Who, who would I, if I could be any character in the Bible, who would it be? You know what I came up with? Came up with a thief on the cross. You know why? Because he lived however he wanted to live his whole life. And at the very end, he snuck in. That's what I was thinking. That's how often as a kid I used to see Christianity. I used to think, you know, I'm going to do as minimal as possible and just sort of sneak in. In fact, at the academy, I went to the Air Force Academy for my college years. And uh, at the end of the semester, this is probably, this is, well, this is late 90s. And at the end of the semester, what they would do is they would, before the formal grades came out for each of the classes, they would, they would use a projector or something or overhead, and they would project the grades onto, you know, onto the screen so that we could, we could know our grade before actually waiting to get the grade. And what they would do is they, would, they wouldn't give a name, but they would give like the last four of your social security number. And so all of us would be looking at this big screen. There's like 60 of us in this, in this class. And we're all looking. And immediately, and you can see the various actual uh, percentages of, for each social security number. And then there's a line that divides the A, the A minus, the B plus, the B, right? And inevitably... Every student, every cadet in that room would look to the same place. And you'd think, well, okay, I bet it's probably who got the highest grade, right? When you think, oh, who, who got the, you know, who scored the highest? And that's wrong. No one looked there. Do you know where they looked? They looked to the person who just barely got the A, right? Why, why is that? Because they did just enough work without wasting any energy to still get the A. And that's often how we are, isn't it? That's sort of like this idea, look, in the Christian life, I'm just going like, to do enough to get, in fact, there's even, and I can't, I can't recommend watching The Simpsons from the pulpit, but there's a Simpson episode in which Homer, I think if I remember this a long time ago, in which Homer dies, and he goes to the pearly gates, and St. Peter is there, and St. Peter says, look, I'm sorry, you can't get in. <laughs> you just haven't done enough. And he says, but I'm not going to send you to the place. What I'm going to do, actually, is I'm going to send you back, and I'll give you another chance. So Homer goes back, and uh, he, he, he wakes up, and he starts talking to his wife, Marge. And Marge points out a number of chores around the house that he could do as, like, good works. And he, he responds, I'm just trying to get in. I'm not running for Jesus. <laughs> right? Why bother be pure heart? Why bother be all in? I mean, those are zealots. Those are Bible thumpers. Those are these passionate, weird people. Why would I be pure and hard for? Why not just sort of, hey, look, I'm just trying to get in. I'm not running for Jesus. And by the way, in the rest of the episode, you know, he doesn't get in. <laughs> in fact, he doesn't do a single good deed. <laughs> right? Now, as a kid, again, I remember thinking, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm gonna do the, I am going to do this whole Christian thing. I saw my parents saw the lives they lived in devotion to the Lord, and I saw a lot of goodness, a lot to actually envy. There's a lot, there's a lot of good to living the Christian life. You know, it's beautiful. But I didn't, I didn't really want the cost. I didn't want the sacrifice. I still wanted a job that makes good money. I wanted a beautiful wife. I wanted all these things that the world would, would have us want. I wanted it all. Okay? 
And so I, 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 like, and I like some of I like some of what Christianity had to offer, but I didn't want to. I just didn't want to get in too deep. But here's the thing. This is so important. All relationships require risk. They do. If you're going to get to know someone beyond the superficial, if you're say that you're single and you're dating someone, and you date and you and you start to hang out more and more, if if you want to get to know them, you've got to be able to spend time with them. You might take a year or two, three years of your life. That's actual time. That sacrifice is cost. And you're going to get to know them. And to do so exclusively, there's a sense of commitment. Right? Imagine if someone were to say to you, look, I want to know your hopes. I want to know your dreams. I want to know your fears. I want to know your innermost thoughts. But I also want you to know I can bail at any time I want to. Right? Our, our response would be, why, why would I tell you anything? Why would I let you see who I am if you're not committed to me? Let me say that again. Why would I tell you anything? Why would I show yourself? Why would I show you anything about me? Why would I let you see me, who I really am, if you're not actually committed to me? So do you see? See, we live in a divided world. We live in, an, in a divided world eon, a divided eschaton. We need to live in a, in a world of light and darkness. It's right there in Genesis chapter 3 that there is enmity between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. There is division. And all of us come into the world, into a divided world, and we are called to take sides. And Jesus is saying here, listen, if you want to see him, if you want to know him, he's not going to just un- unveil himself because he, you, you're not on his side. We don't, we're, not, we're not naturally on God's side. And so he's urging us to get rid of any competition. Money, fame, comfort, you name it. What, who or what is competing with God this morning in your life? And this purity of heart that Jesus talks about, it promises not an explanation. You're wondering, why am I suffering? Why am I going through this? Why is the world the way it is? It promises not an explanation. It's not the kind of sort of clarity that comes, oh, I see what's happening now. It isn't said, blessed are the pure in heart, because they will see everything as it is. They'll, they'll have life figured out. It promises not an explanation, but it promises, are you ready for this? It, it promises an encounter. Not an explanation from God, but an encounter with God. An encounter that brings intimacy. An encounter that brings security. I see him. And I know that he's good. I know that he's kind. I know that he will never leave me or forsake me. I know that he can undo anything that happens. I know that his love is better than life itself. I know that in this changing, unpredictable world, he is the one who is unchanging, who is entirely faithful, reliable, If I know him, 
all will be well. So there is so much to this idea of simply going all in, of making our single passion in life the pursuit of God, knowing him as he is, saying no matter what my situation, I am going to be pure in heart, meaning that no matter what happens, I am going to seek obedience. I'm going to seek to do the right thing. I seek to act in love. Let me give you just a brief case study here of this of, the, of what we're talking about. Turn, turn to the right here. This is a psalm, this book of Psalms. We're going to go to Psalm 73. It's on, uh, it's on page 500 of your Blue Pew Bible. Such an incredible psalm. There's such a, a realism and honesty to the psalms. And Psalm 73 showcases that idea. Again, this is page 500, Psalm 73. Listen to this psalm. Surely... God is good to Israel. Oh, do you, you, you see the word there? Do you see the phrase? To those who are pure in heart. So he's, he's, he, 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 that's his thesis. Yes, that's true. But then he tells us a story. He tells us about his past. Verse 2, it gets very personal. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. I, for, why? What happened? Why, why did you not want to remain pure in heart? Well, there's three. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous heart comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance. They threaten oppression. Their their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. They think that everything belongs to them. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. Everyone's following them on social media. Verse 11, they say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? He doesn't really care about what I'm doing wrong. he'll, he'll, He'll give me a pass. Verse 12, this is what the wicked are like always carefree they go on amassing wealth and then he gives into despair verse 13 surely in vain i have kept my heart pure surely in vain i have washed my hands in innocence all day long i have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments and then he says, you know, I, I'm not going to, sh- I didn't share this with the people of God. I, I didn't want to do this. He says, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children, your people. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. <gasps> then I understood the final destiny. Do you see what happens? He goes into the house of God. He kneels down in reverence. He gives himself to the Lord. There is an encounter with God. He encounters the Lord. Verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. He goes on to describe the deeply deceptive way of the wicked, that at any moment, indeed, they can be lost. Verse 21, when, I, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was, a, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. And then he goes on to give this wonderful closing uh, promise or declaration of allegiance. 
He declares this purity of heart, this devotion, this, this loyalty. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do you hear the freedom in that? It's mind-boggling. He doesn't need anything. All I want is the Lord. All I want is who he is and what he has done. I long to be beside him. And he has perfect contentment. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful summary of just the struggle. The sense of, you know, it's just not worth it to be pure in heart. It's not really worth it to be on God's side. Now let me, as we... Turn, as we uh, come in for landing here, let me just, just turn to the left. Reverse. I'm, I'm going to show you just the, how this idea works. I'm not making this stuff up. Turn to the left of Psalm 18. Psalm 18 is a psalm in which David is looking back at his life. In fact, you can turn there. It's on page, um, it's on page 469 of your Pew Bible. And you can see it, actually. There's a, there's a, uh, a superscript right there that says, For the director of music of David, the servant of the Lord, Again, this is 469, page 469, your pew Bible, Psalm 18. This is of David, the servant of the Lord. He sang to the Lord the words of the song, when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and under the hand of Saul. So this is David reflecting on how God, in the warfare, how God has been present and has delivered him. And these opening verses speak of how David, despite all his great talent, his great ability, his lethal, his, the lethal uh, way in which he was uh, an incredible warrior, despite all of that, he, he, was, uh, he was overcome and he needed deliverance. And it speaks of how he calls out to God and how God from the heaven hears in, in this beautiful, this very uh, um, graphic language. God acts, he comes down, he's angered, and he delivers David. And what I want you to see here, this is so beautiful. Um, in uh, verse 25. Look at that on page 470, verse 25. David says these words, To the faithful, hmm, what? You show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. Now listen to this. But to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. And I will say that is a generous translation. You can almost translate it to the, to, the, to, to the devious, you show yourself twisted, distorted. Think about that. God is under no obligation to show himself to us as he is if we are not on his side. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not very faithful. I'm not very blameless. I'm not pure. So how can I get pure? How can I be cleansed? Well, there's one whose blood cleanses in every way. There's one whose death removes every stain and washes us as white as snow. And here's the thing, gang. So often in our Christian world today, we think that 
if we just say, I'm sorry, we will have his forgiveness. And that is true. Amen. Hallelujah. His forgiveness delivers us from a future that we absolutely in every way deserve, a future of an eternity completely apart from him, forsaken by him, and justly so. But we're missing out. We're missing out in a crucial way. If all we say is, I'm sorry, we're missing out. The gospel calls us, Jesus calls us this morning, not only to say, I'm sorry, he calls us to say, I surrender. I surrender. When we say I'm sorry, he washes our hearts pure. When we say I surrender, oh, that's when we have a heart that purely follows him, that purely desires him and no other. When we say I'm sorry, he says I forgive you. When we say I surrender, he says, I'm for you. I'm for you. Let's close with these final words from, from, King, uh, from, from, uh, from the uh, uh, prophet Azariah. The Lord is with you when you are with him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, it's um, an astonishing thing to to think how often we presume to be on your side or that you are on our side. And Father, we ask forgiveness for that. We stop and begin to think about our lives and wonder the trajectory that they are on apart from you. Lord, I pray that we would indeed surrender. Father, we'd surrender our bodies, our bank accounts. Father, we would surrender our, our brains, our minds, our thoughts. We would surrender them all to you. We'd surrender our relationships, our schedule, our time, our technology, we would bring it under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would do that and we would do it together. Father, show us what that looks like. We need one another. We need your, the wisdom of your word to know what it looks like to redeem all aspects of our life, to bring them under his wondrous lordship. Father, this morning we pray that you indeed would give us a purity of heart that is only coming from your Holy Spirit. Father, we know that with man this is impossible. But with you, O oh God, all things are possible. So we cry out to you asking that you indeed would set us apart, that we would be your instruments of grace, your instruments of righteousness, your agents of justice in this world, acting as innocently as doves and as shrewdly as serpents. Father, hear us, for we pray in the mighty and merciful name of Jesus. Amen.